Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you. Another Monday evening to kickstart a new week, a week that will have us continuing to reflect into the book of Genesis. Hopefully, by the end of tomorrow, Tuesday evening, I will have gotten through the third day. And today we will uh, talk about the second day, finish up our discussion on heaven and eternal life. And we may get started on verses 9 to 13 that will have us talking about the third day. We'll get more, uh, we'll get into more of that tomorrow. Wednesday, we will have our first official program where we engage a movie on that new topic, the world stage. And I will do that with Father Mike Ritter. We are going to talk about Les Miserables. Les Miserables. So if you want to do your homework, your homework is uh, to watch a movie for Wednesday, Les Miserables. Then, of course, Thursday, I will answer your questions and this Thursday is Thanksgiving, so I'm going to respond to the question I have received on more than one occasion over the, over the past few days. What is uh, the best understanding and, and most appropriate understanding of Thanksgiving within our Catholic faith, within our Christian Catholic faith? So I will take up that question on Thursday for sure, and I, I look forward to that. But before we get into that, we have to first talk about Genesis. And as I just noted, we are going to finish up our discussion on Genesis verses 6 to 8 and the second day this evening. And I know I just got our discussion started on heaven, but what I thought we could do this evening is to really spend some extra time talking about heaven, uh, talking about eternal life, how providential is it that the readings that came to us from this past weekend from our liturgical uh, cycle had us thinking about the four last things death, judgment, heaven, hell. So reflecting about heaven is is quite timely. And I love when God does this, by the way. I love when God shows off, where here we are talking about a particular theme, and then it's the very thing that we are made to reflect upon uh, over the weekend. So this is what we are going to be about this evening. And then, again, God willing, if we have time, we will get into uh, the third day and a discussion on earth and creation. All right, so with that, if you have your Bibles out, Genesis chapter 1, verses 6 to 8. And God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and separated the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning a second day. All right, so in our time together last week, I spent some extra time reflecting into the word firmament and what's going on there. This evening, as I was just saying, I want to focus in on eternal life and do so with Benedict XVI, Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI. You know, I think if there is an area where catechesis has been poor in the Catholic Church, if I'm going to just speak frankly, it is on heaven and hell, and really the four last things, death, judgment, heaven and hell. As it was observed by my pastor this past weekend, you know, 
for most people, heaven seems like a rather shallow one, <laughs> that we will live forever. You know, far too often, heaven is reduced to merely a place where I'll be happy. Um, I'll have this or that. I'll see my loved ones again. And as I understand it, I won't even have to deal with my pains anymore. This is, this is nice. But we really don't get to the heart <laughs> of what heaven is all about, and that is eternal life with God. There might be a reference of God, but we really don't contemplate what it means to be in union with God. Uh, again, Emeritus Benedict XVI, in his encyclical on hope, and if you have not read Benedict XVI's encyclical on hope, you know, you hear the word encyclical and you're like, in, 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 what? What are you saying, Joe? <laughs> encyclical, my friends, is simply a word that is tied to a teaching document of the church penned by the Pope, where the Pope will reflect and teach on a particular topic, expounding upon uh, the teaching doctrine that he's, he's reflecting with. And of course, in, in his encyclical Spe Salvi in, in the Latin, which just simply means on hope. So in his encyclical on hope, he's reflecting upon just not the virtue of hope, but also heaven. Benedict XVI in paragraphs uh, 10 and 12 from his encyclical on hope. Perhaps many people reject the faith today simply because they do not find the prospect of eternal life attractive. What they desire is not eternal life at all, but this present life, for which faith in eternal life seems something of an impediment. To continue living forever endlessly appears more like a curse than a gift. He goes on. Death, admittedly, one would wish to postpone for as long as possible. But to live always, without end, this, all things considered, can only be monotonous and ultimately unbearable. The term eternal life is intended to give a name to this known unknown. Inevitably, it is an inadequate term that creates confusion. Eternal, in fact, suggests to us the idea of something interminable, and this frightens us. Life makes us think of the life that we know and love and do not want to lose, even though very often it brings more toil than satisfaction, so that while on the one hand we desire it, on the other hand, we don't want it. Isn't that fascinating? I came across that line. On the one hand, we desire it, and on the other hand, we do not want it. So what is he talking about there? Well, we desire bliss. We desire absolute enjoyment. We desire these things that have us waking up in the morning all excited about them, right? And yet, when you talk about that enjoyment, bliss, and satisfaction on the other side, well, we're not so sure. We're not so sure, huh? You know, my friends, what I have always found so fascinating about this point, and it is an observation that John Paul II once made, all the things that we long for here on earth that point to joy, happiness, bliss, a sense of fulfillment, is simply a longing for God, but in some cases gone bad, especially when it tends to sinful acts, right? And in many ways, what are we talking about here? But Satan's hijacking of what actually belongs to God. Satan is, well, what do we read in sacred scripture? He is the father of all lies. Satan plagiarizes truth. 
okay? So it's interesting. If there is a sin that you struggle with, there's something within what you struggle with that actually belongs to God. Take, for example, our sexual desires, right? Our desire to have sex is actually something that comes from God, right? We are created in the image and likeness of God, and that means everything about us is created in the image and likeness of God. And that includes our desire to be with other, right? Our desire to consummate. Now, of course, we know that this is within the context of the sacrament of marriage, and and in that context and in that setting, it is something beautiful that belongs right, rightfully to God, okay? But for so many of us, what we struggle with is impurity, right? What we struggle with is how Satan has, again, turned our sexual desires upside down so as to think of it not as we ought, not as something that rightfully belongs to God, but something that rightfully belongs to us and only us. We don't live in the mindset of how what we do is an offering to God. We live in the mindset of, in the end, it's just about me, myself, and I. Okay, so all of this has to do, my friends, with this idea that what we long for in the material, in the end, in some shape or form, projects itself to God himself and what we will experience in heaven, that eternal bliss, as... uh, The popular Monsignor Pope recently said, you've heard me talk about him before, he blogs. He's probably my favorite blogger. Um, You can Google him, Monsignor Pope. He recently said, eternal life is not about the length of life, but the fullness of life. So as he kind of muses, to enter eternal life is to become fully alive with God forever, to experience untold joy, untold serenity, and ultimately peace in an eternal embrace with him forever. Don't we long for peace here on earth? Certainly that is what we will attain in heaven, having our communion with God perfected. This is what heaven is about. And also our communion with one another perfected. One of the great joys of heaven, I'm certain of it, is going to be that there will be perfect reconciliation We will no longer be at odds with one another. The popular writer, speaker, Dr. Alan Hunt, uh, has a book out there titled, Everyone Has Someone to Forgive. I could not agree more, including myself. You know, there are relationships in my life right now, I'm going to be honest with you, that I'm, I'm learning the language of forgiveness. I know you hear me talk about forgiveness on the radio a lot, and I talk about it a lot because I am passing through it a lot as one who has hurt others, and certainly being affected by others who have hurt me. We're all there in some way, shape, or form. We are all needing to reconcile at least one relationship. But this is part of the struggle in grace, is it not? We have these broken relationships, and in them, we learn the language of God on the cross, that language of forgiveness. And so, as we seek to reconcile those relationships, one thing we can be assured of is that in heaven, we will come to know perfect reconciliation. We will be caught up in the great movement of love that is in the life of the Trinity. Again, as Monsignor Pope puts it, and I love this, who really needs a mansion when you can live in the heart of God? (laughs) Earlier, 
what were we saying? We, we want this or that. This or that can be a mansion, a car, a boat, a yacht, beachfront property, whatever it might be. We won't need any of that because we will have the very heart of God. That is our true dwelling place that the Father is preparing for you and I. And if that doesn't get you excited, my friends, pray for the grace and virtue of love that you might come to know what that excitement is. By the grace of God, go I. You know, I, I pray for that grace. I pray for an increase in, in that virtue for sure. So it's not about houses and seats of honor. It's about a place in the heart of the God who made us and who loves us to infinity and beyond, right? To infinity and beyond. It is to become fully alive and perfect as the Father is fully alive and perfect. Incidentally, my friends, here I am made to reflect upon a recently canonized saint, Saint Elizabeth of the Trinity. I have been talking a little bit about her in some of my online teaching St. Elizabeth of the Trinity is a Carmelite nun of the late 19th, early 20th century. She was recently canonized, and I dare say she very well might be a doctor of the church. You've heard me say this about a few other saints. I think uh, Colonel Newman is going to be a doctor of the church. I also think uh, Fulton, Fulton Sheen is going to be a doctor of the church. I think those two are going to be doctors of the church. When I read their writings, there's just something about their writings as they project upon where the church is today in the 21st century. That being said, I think St. Elizabeth of the Trinity is going to be a doctor of the church. And if I could mm, distill her teaching, it really is about how our souls are like a heaven. Okay, how our souls are like a heaven and the Trinity is to dwell there like the Trinity dwells in heaven. In point of fact, she says that once we make our bodies as a temple of the living God, we will come to know that as all temples are about worship and praise, we will come to know how to praise and give glory to God in all that we do once we allow the Trinity to abide in us. So Monsignor Pope says, to enter eternal life is to become fully alive with God. Yet, while that's true, there's something about how we here on earth are called to be fully alive with God. What did St. Irenaeus say? But the glory of God is man fully alive. St. Elizabeth of the Trinity says, we are to become the praise and glory of God. Become the praise and glory of God. And how do we become the praise and glory of God? But by going deeper and deeper into their very life, the Trinity, receiving the Son and receiving the Holy Spirit in us, what does Jesus say? I just don't portion out my spirit. I desire to give all of my spirit to you, right? <laughs> How have we talked about this before? Limitless love. If you were to take, say, the water, the bodies and masses of water here on earth, which make up what? 70 to 75 percent of of the earth i've heard some say 80 i'll have to go and do my homework on that but think on all of the water that is but a drop a drop of god's infinite love 
If you were to count every grain of sand, what would you have? Trillions upon trillions upon trillions of grains of sand, right? It would take lifetimes to count all of the grains of sand. Yet, like the bodies of water, they are limited. Right? At, at some point in time, if you got all of the people in the world together to count the grains of sand, you would come to discover that, well, they are limited. So whether it is uh, water or, or land, there is a limit to it. My dear friends, in God, you're dealing with what is limitless, unlimited. And that, my friends, is God's love, the Holy Spirit. And that which is unlimited, that which is limitless, is what abides inside of us. Isn't that phenomenal? To me, that is phenomenal. It is heaven dwelling within us. So in reflection on eternal life, how can we not think about how we possess eternal life within us? It's so often today, we think about the gifts of the Holy Spirit within the context of something that the Holy Spirit has, but then gives to us. Okay, I, I get that. That makes sense. <laughs> we purchase something and then we give it away. But this is not what God is about. As Jesus says to us in the Gospel of John chapter 3, I don't portion out my spirit, I give all of my spirit to you. What he's saying is, in the end, <laughs> he gives us his whole being. Right, So we possess his identity. And oh, by the way, in the possession of who he is, we now possess all of those gifts that he possesses because he's living within us. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that powerful stuff? We need to be thinking about these things critically. And what a beautiful opportunity we have to be able to think critically about these things, to advance in the spiritual life and our walk with God and how we are called to love one another. So again, here we are talking about eternal life, and we need to appreciate what St. Elizabeth of the Trinity is telling us here. We possess eternal life within us when we allow our souls to become these quasi-heavens, <laughs> okay, where the Trinity desires to abide. This is what Jesus says. This isn't me. This is what Jesus says. Abide in me. Abide in me, and I will abide in you, Right? This is the essence of the covenant. Not this is yours and this is mine, but I am yours and you are mine. This kind of mutual reciprocity, mutual self-gift, okay? So eternal life. Now, kind of going back to that more conventional understanding of eternal life, I wanted to read more of Benedict XVI. He says this in, in his encyclical on hope. To imagine ourselves outside the temporality that imprisons us, and in some way to sense that eternity is not an unending succession of days in the calendar, but something more like the supreme moment of satisfaction, in which totality embraces us and we embrace totality. This we can only attempt. It would be like plunging into the ocean of infinite love, a moment in which time, the before and after, no longer exists. We can only attempt to grasp the idea that such a moment is life in the full sense, a plunging ever new into the vastness of being, 
in which we are simply overwhelmed with joy. This is how Jesus expresses it in St. John's Gospel. Here's John 16, verse 22. I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. And no one will take your joy from you. Why do we desire to abide in God here on earth, in the spiritual life? Well, my friends, because we desire joy. We desire to be satisfied. We all have an ache. We all have a longing. Only God can fill that emptiness. Uh, only God can fill that emptiness. And so, as we reflect into eternal life, and we juxtapose that against how we are called to live in the context of eternal life in the here and now, we are made to see that really it is a living, it is a living with one foot here on earth and one foot in heaven. Right? And in that, again, we go back to what I have talked so much about before, this living with the end in mind, and how that truth was really the battle cry of the early Christian church, living with the end in mind, desiring God here on earth, but mindful that still what is here on earth will always be finite. It will always be temporal. But there's always something more heavenly, right? Infinite. Once we begin to live in God as, as the Gospel of John instructs us, all throughout, really, we begin to see just not earth in light of heaven, but who we are and what we do in light of God's larger plan for us. To become the praise and glory of God, as St. Elizabeth of the Trinity talks about it, that indeed we might really taste what awaits us in eternal life that taste of heaven. And herein lies, my friends, the call to live in wisdom. And I'll close with this. Is not wisdom a taste, but an inclination of what we ought to do against the larger whole? What does St. Thomas Aquinas say? Wisdom always starts on the hilltop, the mountaintop. Because on the hilltop and on the mountaintop, you have access to the broader vision. You can now see the river beyond the river, the mountain beyond the mountain, the trees beyond the trees. I was blogging on this recently. And for those of you who are faithful listeners, I think you've heard me talk about this a little bit before. I was in Lake Tahoe. In point of fact, we made two uh, trips to Lake Tahoe at the end of summer and early fall. And on both occasions, we did some hiking. And on both occasions, was I struck by being at a higher elevation and being able to breathe that new air, a new air of the Spirit, as I had access to see the blue water beyond the blue water, the canyon beyond the canyon, the beautiful pine trees beyond the beautiful pine trees, I began to see how all things were interconnected. That's what wisdom is about. And if we are going to live with the end in mind, well, then we are going to see how each and every moment is a part of a larger plan for you and I. How each and every encounter is a part of God's eternal design. God has a plan for us. 
a plan that is very specific, a plan that only you can fulfill. Only Joe Holcraft can fulfill the plan that is before Joe Holcraft. John Smith or, or Jane Doe cannot fulfill that plan, right? Only Joe Holcraft can. And the same goes for you as well. The same goes for you as well. God says to you right here and not right now, I have a very specific plan for you. And the only way you are going to know that plan is to come to me in prayer. Ask for my very life and love to be poured into you and be rest assured it will. Make your souls like a heaven where the Trinity can abide, where the very life of God can abide in you. And certainly in doing so, ask for the gift of wisdom. And I'm just not talking about natural prudence, you know, what we might liken to common sense. That's not wisdom. Wisdom is something deeper. Again, it's that taste, that inclination for how God is working in this particular moment for you in the here and now. Every single one of your encounters has purpose. What were we talking about as it relates to days last week, right? The Hebrew for yom isn't so much what is chronological per se. That's part of it, but more about what is purpose-driven. Is our time purpose-driven time? Such an important question. It will be if we live with the end in mind. So what is the best way to prepare for heaven? Well, by allowing heaven to share in your earthly mode of existence, to make heaven come down here on earth. Certainly this is what happens in the Mass, and when we receive our Lord, indeed, we can share in God's very existence here on earth. And that will be, again, a foretaste of what we will come to know in heaven, which is that ultimate satisfaction, that ultimate bliss, that ultimate union and communion with God. And for that, my friends, we should wake up in the morning, huh? All right. Okay, we didn't get into verses 9 to 14, 9 to 13. We will just leave all of tomorrow for that. All right, let us close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.